This is yes. Sam from your podcast. Sam, is it strange to be recording my podcast, but I'm not in the room with you? Yeah, about that. Uh, I got to work today. There's a Stephen King book with a note that says, read me and discuss. Are you not coming to work? <laughs> I'm staying in bed. I might have a tummy ache. Nope. Nate, we talked about this. You have to come no, to work. No, I, you have okay. to come to work, Nate. Host a podcast. No, you have guests here. Hello, Nathan. Hello, John. Hi. Hi, Nate. <laughs> you guys want to talk about some sunliner. books? Yeah, let's do it. Um, hey, guys. It's reading aloud, and my voice sounds weird because I'm on an American cellular telephone. I'm calling in today because I am stuck in Boston, um, sitting in a hotel room. And but that's not going to stop this badass book club from happening because the past is obdurate <laughs> and Sadie is real foxy. She is uh, full figured. Yeah, she is. Full, she has, as Stephen King said, a wonderful figure. Um, she's very tall, sometimes clumsy, smokes two packs a day. But I'm so on board with their romantic <laughs> relationship. The book that we're talking about today is 11-22-63. Stephen King wrote this uh, three years ago, and it's 850 pages long. So I want to begin today by thanking my guests for being patient and going to the bookstore and seeing the girth of this book and not running <laughs> away screaming please welcome back it's a reboot of the the whites book club john forrest and nelson franklin hi fellas hello nathan hey, yes it is a white book club you're right it's we're three white dudes <laughs> and there's a whole lot of white people you know in what? this book the 50s and, and re 60s reboot of the whites we're full of white people yeah a lot of whiteies um i will start with you guys I want to know, we'll start with like general points of view and just what you, what you thought of it. And first, I really do, honestly, it, this book is, for me, it wasn't hard to read and, it, and I read it relatively quickly, but it is really long. And I remember t talking with you last week, Nelson, that like you, you weren't sure if you'd ever read a book this fucking long. And so thank you guys for reading it. And uh, I'll start with you, Nelson. What are your... What's your what's your gut telling you about your experience with this book? Uh, I liked it. You know, uh, it's like you said, it's a fun. It's sort of an easy read. I mean, it's not because it's so long, but n there's nothing taxing about. It. Well, I would say this though. It's like it's a super long book, and there's a lot of parts in it where you know he always states what date it is, and it'll be like you know the date was October 1959. Uh, a long way to go until 1963 when my mission would come to fruition or whatever. And, and you get a sense of like, oh, yeah, there's a long way to go. And, oh, shit, there's 600 pages left. Oh, shit. Like, you're in there. <laughs> you're right there with uh, with Jake in terms of the uphill battle <laughs> that's ahead of you with the length of this book. Uh, but it doesn't matter because, you know, when you forget about that and you just, like, enjoy what's happening, that's good. Good book. I, I agree with you that the dates were – frustrating and also kind of exciting because it, it, to me, it sort of helped build uh, 
sort of the, the foreshadowing. Um, we got a bunch of emails uh, about this book. So thank you everyone for writing in and sharing your thoughts. Um, and one of the things that came up was it was, it was helpful, but also frustrating. Tessa wrote in, I was thinking that it is an interesting device King used to foreshadow doom. Is that something King does often? He does it a lot in this book. For example, in, in a passing mention about Vince, he basically just tells us the kid is going to die. Mm. When he mentions the first Betty places in Texas, he states, I made a mistake. Right. <laughs> yeah, All yeah. of this foreshadowing to what is about to happen. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same way. I would see those dates and I'd be like, oh my God, we got five years to go. <laughs> and there were a few little bits that lagged for me. But overall, I was, I was on board for just about the entire, the entire trip were, were you as well? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and you get lost in the minutia of the old, I mean, he did his research, obviously there's very specific stuff about what existed back in the late fifties and everything. And, and when he met Sadie, the first thing I thought was like, Oh God, this is not gonna, this is so much <laughs> foreshadowing about how, so you, you know, it's like the past wants to fight back and everything. And she's totally going to be like, you know, an issue, but you don't, and then you just don't care because you're like, Oh man, she's great. And to quote, it's that full figure. Yeah. And to quote Stephen King in this book, she has <laughs> junk in the trunk. It's just a line. Yeah. yeah. He does a number of like modern turns of phrases yeah. that are very funny given the time period. I marked that he's a in. lot of them in the book. Yeah, they were very. Weird. It's almost the time traveling device when he introduces like modern vernacular and in, in, in a setting that's like you know, the past. Yeah. Did you find that distracting when he uh, would use that that kind of there language? There were a few times where I almost felt like it smacked of effort a bit. Yeah, I agree. if I'm being honest, um, I really, yeah. I really. This is a full disclosure comment. I read close to 400 pages last night. <laughs> and Whoa! I really uh, work well under pressure, I, I guess, or, or just that's the only way I can work. Um, so uh, when he was, you know, trying to stop Oswald and all the time constraints, I was literally like experiencing that in a very real way because like, I was like, I don't know if I'll have time before 10 a.m. to like get this done. So I pretty much stayed up through the night finishing it. Um, but uh, I, lo- I absolutely loved it. And um, I, I guess, I don't know, everything that's good about it, I'm sure we'll get into. My, I'll start with my critiques. I found his entryway into the 50s almost a little too easy and a little too convenient. I felt <laughs> like I couldn't shake the notion. I couldn't shake the notion that this character was Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Even though he was supposed to be like a 35-year-old guy, I couldn't shake the notion that he was a guy who had some actual experience of the 50s and was re-remembering it when he went back. Because it just felt a little too familiar. It felt a little too easy for him to slip back into it. That was my one uh, – that and, the, and the, um, some of the modern turns of phrases, which actually didn't really bother me. What, what bothered me more than that was the um, – you know, he talked about like, well, I'd have to take her back through the time portal and then got, I don't even want to think about what would happen. Like uh, some of the, he, he almost like excused himself from certain things at, at times that I, 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 I don't know. I'm, I've been up all night. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here's one of the, he goes, uh, he says, uh, he, he makes a reference to law and order SVU on page yes. 725. Yes. Here. Distracting. Yeah. Distracting. And that's in the middle of like a heated. There's, there's certain times where it's a little weird, but I don't yeah, know, it's fine, whatever. But it's fine, whatever. You're so on board, yeah, and yeah. you've invested so much time, uh, literally, um, 
which is a nice par- <laughs> nice parallel, yeah. you know, <laughs> that it's like you don't care. And it's a really compelling story. And what a compelling event to center the story around. And and and, and over to you, Nate. I, I completely agree with you. I, on both levels, that A, his turn of phrase is real frustrating sometimes. Sometimes. But sometimes. Then, sometimes it's spot yeah. on. It's like 1% of an 800 yeah, page book. To- yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Very nitpicky. You're, <laughs> yes, we're, we're being nitpicky, but that's But, that's but he's a of master of, we'll get, he's a master and, you know, whatever. He, he can, I'm sure he can handle it. He can certainly handle it. He's a very wealthy man. He's been running for a long time. Um, but if we're nitpicking at the top, I, I, com- I completely agree. It, it was equal parts. Like you said, Nelson, 1% of it was frustrating. But the story, of course, just grabs you. And it's like, I gave him a pass on all of that Oh, stuff. totally. Yeah. But my, uh, I had a listener, Matt, write in, who always has really thoughtful points of view. He wrote, if I had a complaint about the novel... It's that I'm still distracted and sometimes frustrated by Stephen King's prose. Mm-hmm. I've read the first several Dark Tower books and put them down when I realized I couldn't slog through his sometimes clunky narratives and less than believable dialogue. Oh, and his music references drive me up the wall. <laughs> <laughs> that terrible music in the mood, fucking Glenn Miller, mm-hmm. is cool, or he makes me embarrassed to like legitimately good music <laughs> when he awkwardly inserts Beatles or stone lyrics into his dorky everyman narrator's head. I feel myself oh my inwardly cringing. It felt less awkward in 11, 63 since it clearly has plenty of nostalgia built in, mm-hmm. but it's a hallmark of his writing. I could go without it's a minor quibble given how enjoyable I found this book, yeah. but it was still in the back of my mind while reading. Thank uh, you, Matt. I yeah. Think well, that kind of think- sums up. I think exactly that's well. That's well said. And I, I, the one caveat I will add in terms of a bridge of believability is that he was playing a writer, and you can imagine right. that a writer's brain is going to hold a lot of information. And if he's like a music fan, which clearly, you know, clearly given the deep cut references, uh, <laughs> the the band that's playing at uh, Mimi's uh, big party. He's like, that kid would go on to, I can't even remember. Again, I've been up all night. That kid would go on to be uh, the lead singer of uh, whoever. It's like, who? Yeah. And so like, he's definitely got some deep cut references, but I, I could buy it given the fact that his character is a writer. And again, part of the reason why I couldn't shake the notion that I felt like I was listening to Stephen King himself. And mm-hmm. I didn't have a problem with that. It's just, that's, that's how I saw the character. I couldn't really see him as a 35-year-old man. It just never made sense to me. Right, well, you, get, you get the sense that it's like this is what I would do yeah. if I went back in time and went to 1958 and and did this and I marked a page here. before he he like goes in the first time to check it out and he gets his footing and then he comes back out and Al's like all right or Al dies or something and he says all right now he makes up his mind he's gonna go back in there he's gonna do the job and right before he steps through the rabbit hole he says I'm coming for you you fuck and then he walks through. The- <laughs> Uh, and I and that took me. I mean, like that's on page two hundred, so you know that's gone pretty soon from your memory. But I was like, come on, what is this? like? He's gonna he put on his sunglasses before he says that. You know, hey, Ozzy, <laughs> I'm coming for you. Always bet on black. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I it was distracting for me for the first like two hundred pages. I just all I could see was James Franco because he's <laughs> playing him in the he movie, is? and it oh, just made me really. I know. It's such a disappointment. Yeah, it's really, it's like frustrating. They're shooting it actually right now. They're like, first, they're they're like image, like on set images, like on Twitter of them 
shooting it. I think they're shooting it outside of Toronto. And, you know, they built this 1950s town. Um, and there's like a picture of, you know, James Franco and like a, like wearing his little hat and one of those like shirts from the fifties. And I was like, ugh. <laughs> but eventually, thank God, because I was so caught up in the story, I forgot about him. When he got to, when he got to Derry and all the stuff happened in oh, Derry. Yeah. That's um, my, that might've been my favorite. I think book. that's my favorite. Totally dude. Derry. That was so destructive. Yeah. So creepy. Yeah. So creepy. Really good. It was funny that it like the first, uh, I guess that's the first like third of the story is, is, um, the dairy stuff before he goes to Texas. And I thought, is this going to be the whole book? I thought, you know, I was looking at the date, like we'd said earlier and thinking, Oh Jesus, we're fucking five years away from, from the assassination. Why are we, why are we in dairy? <laughs> but I totally, like you guys said, like it was completely creepy. And I was like, Oh, this is Stephen King. Yeah. And I thought this wasn't going to be a creepy book at all. It was going to be this sort of like, you know, um, historical take on, you know, some enormous, piece of politics and he was going to have a real point of view about like how the future would change if he was saved. But that first, all that stuff in Derry, I was so on board for. Dude, great. totally. The, the, the Jesus figure that he sees floating down the stream with blood in its eyes and the, the, <laughs> the graffiti that I, I will kill my mother soon. And then someone writing, yeah. not soon enough. She's full of disease, all misspelled <laughs> yeah, weirdly. Oh God. Yeah. It, you know, the, yeah. There was someone on on Twitter who um, who reached out to us uh, reading aloud pod at uh, at Twitter by the way um, that the all the references to it like yeah. he thought they were cheap and lame uh, but I thought those were so I was so on board totally I on loved board. all that shit yeah totally on board creepy I mean you know clowns are creepy yeah yeah I just got to ask there's that it's it's just it's sticking in my mind who's playing. Sadie in the movie, and then we can drop it. That's a question that I don't know, and okay. I kind of don't want to know because yeah, I want Sadie to exist in my brain yeah. exactly. Forget how. I ever mentioned it. Yeah, as a she's like one of those super foxy like pinup chicks. You know what I mean? Like six three. Yeah, that's what I yeah. imagine too. Like, an, very tall, not just. She's like, an Amazonian. Yeah. She's an Amazonian. Exactly. There was a great. Um, Part of the creepiness and the it crossover on page 180, it, uh, he describes um, that like that broke like the kitchen ironworks, which was like that abandoned building that was all like gutted out and a bunch of like bricks were lying around. And mm -hmm. he said, I don't know for sure, but I can tell you one more thing. There was something yeah. inside that <laughs> fallen chimney at the kitchen ironworks. I don't know what. And I don't want to know, but at the mouth of the thing, I saw a heap of gnawed bones and a tiny chewed collar with a bell on it, a collar that had surely belonged to some child's beloved kitten. And from inside the pipe, deep in that oversized bore, something moved and shuffled. Come in and see that something seemed to whisper in my head. Never mind all the rest of it, Jake. Come in and see. Come in and visit. Time doesn't matter in here. In here, time just floats away. You know you want to. You know you're curious. Maybe it's even another rabbit hole, another portal. Maybe it was, but I don't think so. I think it was dairy in there. Everything that was wrong with it. I'm getting chills reading this. <laughs> Everything that was askew, hiding in that pipe, hibernating, letting people believe the bad times were over, waiting for them to relax and forget there had ever been bad times at all. I left in a hurry, and to that part of dairy, I never went back. Yeah, man. That yeah. that 
gave me chills uh, both when you just read it and the first time I read it too. I thought I found that so affecting. And another confession: this is the first Stephen King book I've read. Ditto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only my second, so I, we're all we're all in the same same boat. But I've, there were so many the only- places in here where, ugh, just the creepiness really. When uh, we don't have, to, I don't want to jump around, but there were just so many no, places. Please. Well, when uh, uh, Sadie's ex-husband sends her those photos, and he describes those photos, oh, God. it was so disturbing to me. Real insight on a crazy Wait. person. The yeah. photos of the Hiroshima victims yeah. that he just sent her because oh, he's like, God. "See, I'm right." Yeah, he's like, yeah, "It's yeah. a st- statistical right. fact." Oh God. Um, I-, I could go on and on and on just about moments that I found were really creepy, but the dairy stuff in particular, I felt just really. Just oh, it was so vivid, and the people, and I the, love, and the vibe. It just the yeah. fact about the whole thing yeah. about Darius is that it just had a weird vibe. Something he kept saying over and over again. Something felt wrong. Yeah, the place just felt wrong. Everybody and, was yeah, against him. Yeah, man. and he did such a great job of making that real. You know, I I totally saw it. Yeah, yeah. The I way couldn't. that he, um, the, the way that everyone is just off and kind of cruel, and there's just like a layer of yeah. film on everything, and never and, nice, but like. The second they border on nice, they immediately pull back. It's like that weird res- reserved thing that he attributed yeah, that, to like, being like, oh, the, it's old Yankee stuff. Yeah, exactly. The pharmacist. Ugh. Oh, God, it's so great. I didn't, I didn't really recognize that the two, uh, like the dancing couple that he mm. encounters and has that really surreal conversation with. <laughs> I love that so scene. So weird, yeah. My buddy um, Mark reached out to me and said, those are two characters – those are two characters from it. Really? Yeah, Richie, the dan- the guy who's dancing is one of the is, I think it's like oh, I forget which one he is, but um he's one of the kids in it that no way. like Man. encounters, you know, the the clown that rips off the kid's arm and the um Penny Pennywise? Yep. Is that the name of the yep. clown? Um and so that was all a bunch of it stuff. I was I was so I'm so glad that we're all on the same page of how creepy that fucking stuff was. I, I just thought it was great, and I kind of missed it when we got to Jody. I loved all the the like the experience and the charm, the yeah. '50s charm of of what Jody was like. But I I did kind of miss the creepiness of of Derry. Yeah, right. And you saw glimpses of it in Dallas. I mean, you saw yeah. it when he went to uh, yeah in Fort Worth. Yeah, uh, what's the main drag there where the guy shoots himself? Oh God! Yeah, it's amazing. I forget that name. Of oh that street. yeah, this whatever that street was. It just seemed like that was the echo of Derry, and and how when Mimi told him that his book should really be set in Dallas instead of Derry, he found it like a pretty easy transition. And I felt you know there were like echoes of it here and there, but it never it, yeah. nothing was ever as creepy as Derry mm-hmm. or or Dawson as he wrote in his novel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it was I super effective. A, a I had little, this feeling. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, 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 this is the last thing I'll say about Derry. It's just like every. The whole he was there for a long time, uh, and it was just the whole time he was there. I was just like, "Get out of there, please! Yeah, right? Just leave, just leave." Yeah. So it was also building because he was building to this big event again. Yeah. You know, a microcosm of the other you know event, but yeah. it just had a real cool, creepy tension. Yeah, great job. I I really enjoyed, um, and this is getting sort of moving off of dairy and getting into conspiracy stuff. Um, but I love the description, the sort of Occam's Razor description that Al gives him on page 66. It's really early on. They're talking about like conspiracy theories and Jack Ruby and all that stuff. And he says, uh, Manchester said that if you put the murdered president on one side of a scale 
and <laughs> Oswald, the wretched waif, on the other, it didn't balance. No way did it balance. If he wanted to give Kennedy's death some meaning, you'd have to add something heavier, which explains the proliferation of conspiracy theories, like the mafia did it, Carlos Marcello ordered the hit, or the KGB did it, or Castro to get back at the CIA for trying to load him up with poison cigars. There are people to this day who believe Lyndon Johnson did it so he could be president. But in the end, Al shook his head. It was almost certainly Oswald. You've heard of Occam's razor, haven't you? It's a basic truism, uh, sometimes known as the laws of parsimony. All other things being equal, the simplest explanation is usually the right one. And I really... Because I'm sort of fascinated by conspiracy theorists, Same here. period, people who, who create these, um, these, these sort of grand imagined views of how events in history have, have occurred. And I think that just sort of hits it. I, I haven't heard it described that simply. Like it, it's, it's too much to think that one uh, wretched waif, as he's described, it, mm-hmm. it just, it, 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 he doesn't have... It's, it doesn't balance out. And I love that description. I thought that was, that was so spot on. I, I love that. I agree. And it's, it's basically just the whole idea of human beings and their capacity to fear and protect against the unknown. And if, if the world is a chaotic, haphazard, uh, potential catastrophe at every turn, there has to be some framework with, where that makes sense. There has to be some overarching force controlling and puppet mastering these events. Otherwise it's just chaos and it's terrifying and humans need like structure and framework. And I think that's also, it's like part of the same uh, principle for why conspiracy theories proliferate and gain so much traction because they're comforting. They're basically a means to comfort. I completely agree. On that note, we're going to take the shortest of breaks and we will come back with more of the Reading Aloud Book Club for 11-22-63. Stay tuned. Today's sponsor is Casper Mattresses, obsessively engineered American-made mattresses at a shockingly fair price. Listen, you spend a third of your life sleeping, yes? Some of you spend half of your life. Well, make sure you're doing it on a very comfortable mattress, and Casper Mattresses can help you. They bring together two comfy technologies for better nights and brighter days. Latex foam and memory foam. Both of those together. So they've got just the right sink, just the right bounce, no matter how you sleep. And here's more good news. They've got a risk-free trial and return policy. They deliver it right to your house. You can try it for 100 days or nights. And if you're not happy, they'll come back and pick it up. That's it. It's very easy. 500 bucks for a twin size mattress and 950 for a king size mattress and comparing that to industry norms that is an outstanding price. And now you get 50 bucks toward any mattress purchase by going to casper.com/nate and using code nate. C A S P E R as in the ghost .com/nate and save 50 bucks now. Get to sleep you big bing bongs. All right, we're back with more book club for 11 63 Stephen King's novel about Jake Epping slash George Amberson, mm-hmm. who time travels to try to stop the Harvey Oswald from killing the president, falls in love with Sadie, who has a beautiful full figure, and a bunch of cool stuff happens. <laughs> I want to get to another email uh, that I think is really important because it's one of the things we haven't talked about yet. Uh, Ashley wrote in and she had, 
some issues with the 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 card men. Yeah. The card men. I com- I had a tough time with this as well, and I wasn't quite sure how to wrap my head around the whole sort of experience of what why they were there um, and what they were what they were doing and what their importance was to the story. And she she said that it was the, the last one got a little convoluted. The green yeah. card, I think. Um, is, yes. And it was just sort of confusing about what what was happening with all of them and what their job was and who they were and why the first guy was always drunk when he came out. Um, and just like what was sort of happening with the card men? Do you guys have a, a point of view about that? And if you were, were you confused or did you totally get it? Well, yeah, the green card man was sort of enlightening about that. I mean, you know, it was sort of a cop out because, you know, Jake said to him, where what time do you come from? And he had some answer like, it's not important. Don't worry about it. You know, which is a bummer because that'd be that sort of explain everything, I think. But, yeah, they're sort of guarding the portals, the rabbit holes as they were. and, And it was like the yellow card, Al's yellow card man was unable to stop him early on. From what I gathered from the green card man, he said, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jake said, well, the, the the yellow card man never tried to stop Al. He just wanted money for booze. And the green card man said, yeah, well, he, he tried in the beginning, and it was just sort of fruitless, and he, he turned to alcohol. Our job sucks, and sometimes we lose our shit, and we start drinking. And, um, and so right. that's why the yellow card man that you see there, he just was sort of failed. But then all, all kinds of other questions come up, like, why didn't they send somebody else? Like, obviously, yeah. there's... Why didn't they give them weapons or something? Yeah, there's. it's a very ineffective, weird uh, tool of policing the time frame that seems very yeah. strange. Yeah, in- ineffective is the right word. Yeah, and just, like, give those guys hammers to <laughs> <Yeah>. smash <laughs> people, and then they save the day. But yeah. no, they it was... It was a little confused, and I wasn't sure what we were getting from it. I, I, I thought it was not lazy, but I didn't quite. There yeah, could have been a clearer way to well, have, like, you, all right, there are, like, guardians of this kind of thing. And it's like, it's like they're living in limbo, and it's a really difficult life to lead, and it's traumatic. And, God, that's a book in itself, like, yeah, of yeah. those guys and, like, what their lives are like. Um, but I didn't quite think that he exactly, for me at least, explained sort of what they were doing and how it all, how the science of it made sense. Um, I found that's that, just me. Yeah, no, but I, I found that he shied away from that a few other times. Like I said before about, there was one time I remember where he talked about, what if I took her back? And, you know, and then, you know, she, we wanted to come back to the past and then there'd be two of her living here. And he's like, I didn't even want to think about what that, he, <laughs> yeah. I felt like he kind of like, posed the question and then was like literally told you in the pages in in other basic other words he was like i'm not going to answer that question yeah. <laughs> right so move on yeah keep reading he's like i don't even want to think about be- that so let's not yeah and, um, <laughs> i gotta i gotta imagine there's a huge population of time traveling nerd guys who are like oh this is a book about time travel i gotta read it and then just start picking apart all the like that was know. a joke in one of the austin power movies too <laughs> yeah, he was like he's like that would be really hard to, to figure out so let's not think about it and yeah. he looked like straight to camera paraphrasing the joke and yeah doing a great job at it but no, 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 you're right um yeah i feel like that's something that's become a bit of a uh, trope almost with time travel mm-hmm. fiction. Like, let's not even think about that because it'd yeah, be too hard. To, bo- yeah, just read, enjoy the movie. Yeah, just yeah, enjoy right. the ride. I read all these JFK books. Please let me write my book now. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's uh, like it's 
it seems like it's laziness on the writer's behalf. If you, if you bring up something and say, let's not think about it, then why bring it up in the first place? Just yeah. don't put it in the book. If you don't have an answer for it, or is that some sort of, is that part of the story where it's like, who knows, I'm going to put 50 ideas out there and I don't know how it's going to turn out reader. I'm just letting you know, you know, again, that this thing is wide open. It's very confusing and who knows what the fuck is going to happen. Either way, it's a little, I don't know. It, it confused me a little bit. Yeah. I, I can, I can agree with that. He set it up earlier too, by saying something along the lines of wondering aloud, someone put this here and like, they must have some sort of monitoring of it or something. Then he, isn't there some passage no. early on? I wish I could have remembered where that happened. Yeah. I felt like he, he set it up, like there's going to be some reveal. And you knew there was something coming with, with these guys that he would see, because like, that would not go unanswered. Right. Yeah, super mega this foreshadowing. Book, this, book, this book club is a little bit more difficult than the other ones, because there's so much stuff to cover. I've forgotten already half of this book. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also just, just finished it. And that's not a testament to it being not great. It's just there's so you tra- much. You literally there's travel. So it feels like a journey and yeah. in the best possible way, but like... Yeah, uh, I was so all the all the experiences in Jody. I just love the way that that. And this is you know I, I, we sort of knocked it in the beginning, like um, like overly charming and the descript all the description of and nostalgic and this description of the fifties and stuff is a little it's a little much. But I totally bought into. Oh, it. I bought like, into I it too. Loved, yeah. I love that town so fucking much. He described it so beautifully. Totally. And the whole thing with um, the school plays and getting these kids to come out of their shells. And I found uh, that so touching and, and just. Yeah. Um, that was that was my favorite moment in the whole book was when he was describing the Of Mice and Men performance. I mean, I know we're all <laughs> yeah. theater guys, but Gave it was me chills. so moving. Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. And I don't, I'm, maybe it's because we're all actors and we like, and yeah. you know, we've been on stage before, but that description of that, of Mike, like becoming Ugh. an actor before everyone's eyes. And then, uh, oh, so fucking great. Yeah. And then was it, oh my God, I'm forgetting his name. Was it Vince? Yeah. Uh, how his, how Mike's yeah. performance was so great that it was like bringing this other worldly performance out of Vince that had yeah. never been in rehearsals like and weeping, yeah. you could it, he did such a great job of describing like the live magic of theater when it's working that was amazing it was so spot on yeah. and just affecting and another place that gave me chills and I was just like wow this is yeah yeah that that whole that whole bit uh, that whole there, it was probably 15 pages but god it was so great and I love like, like you said like it's like tennis like you sort of like uh, you raise your level to match someone who's a little bit better than you. And that sort of happens in acting and it happened with Vince. Like yeah. Stephen yeah. King describes that spot on. And then like that, that pause of quiet after the show was over <laughs> uh, and, yeah. and then like everyone leaping to their feet and just like having the looks like and then, uh, Jim lobby like in the, the first coach. one, Jim lobby in the first one up. And he was the guy that he, Mike was all worried about. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that whole that entire section at the very first, when we got, he got to this little town, I thought, Oh my God, I'm halfway through this book. And we're five years or three years away from the assassination. This, this better be good. <laughs> yeah. And it, to- it completely totally. paid off. That, that so. entire experience was awesome. Yeah, man. I really enjoyed that too. Yeah. Terrific. There was a description, um, when he leaves, uh, it's very brief when he leaves uh, Maine and he goes to like, he spends one night in Boston and then drives down to um, 
stays in a hotel in DC and then he's in Florida and he describes this is the very beginning of chapter 12 on page 279. It's, it's this sort of his worship of the 1950s. It's, it's, um, it's a bit much, but I totally love it. He, he writes, I took us one South. I ate in a lot of roadside restaurants featuring mom's home cooking places with a blue plate special, including fruit cup to start and pie a la mode for dessert cost 80 cents. I never saw a single fast food franchise unless you count Howard Johnson's with its 28 flavors and simple Simon logo. I saw a troop of Boy Scouts tending a bonfire of fall leaves with their scoutmaster. <laughs> I saw women wearing overcoats and galoshes taking in laundry on a gray afternoon when rain threatened. I saw long passenger trains with names like the Southern Flyer and Star of Tampa charging toward those American climes where winter is not allowed. I saw old men smoking pipes on benches in town squares. I saw a million churches and a cemetery where a congregation at least a hundred strong stood in a circle around an open grave singing the old rugged cross. I saw men building barns. I saw people helping people. Two of them in a pickup truck stopped to help me when the Sunliner's radiator popped its top and I was broken down by the side of the road. That was in Virginia around four o'clock in the afternoon. And one of them asked me if I needed a place to sleep. I guess I can imagine that happening in 2011 but it's a stretch. Hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. All of that stuff is just like very corny. No, but, but I loved it. I mean, he I had, it, I, 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 yeah, I totally agree. I feel like he had me with all of that rich descriptive stuff. The second he sat down for the root beer, the first time yeah. he went through it, yeah. he did such a brilliant job of just transporting you into a place that's like, Yes, this is what I've heard about. This is what everyone uh, likes to say it was like. And yet, in such a vivid way, it really did feel like you were there. And um, I think that's probably the biggest testament to this book, that I totally bought every detail of a past that I was not alive for. And maybe that's why I was I able to buy it easier, but I just I feel like it was so spot on. It just felt It just felt real, and it felt right. And it felt desirable to be there. I mean, you could understand why the guy would want to stay yeah. there. Yeah. Because our world is yeah, I com- weird, <laughs> pretty weird. <laughs> yeah, something I'm just realizing now is I, that he had, com- he, he had no attachment whatsoever to the present time that he was from at all. There was never, ever a time where he was like, I wonder what my friends are up right. to. Right. It never happened. Well, he, he didn't yeah. really have much, you know? And, yeah. and the whole fact that everyone's, you know, he said it time and again, they they were just more trusting. They were just, you know... It's just a more trusting time. We were more naive, I suppose, but. Al, Al says early on, like, you know, he's like, do you know why I chose you? You're in your thirties. You're, um, you're divorced. You have, you have a cat and that's about it. And that's so like, you're someone who can lose five years of their life trying to, you know, change the world. And he, but he didn't, I, I want like, I'm sure that was one of the first things Stephen King had it, had to figure out. Like, how do we get this guy to just leave? Yeah. And granted, he only leaves for whatever, two minutes. Um, <laughs> but, but how do you get someone to spend all that time uh, trying to solve this issue? I think most people would say, like, I don't know, what would you guys, if, if this had happened today and Al brought you to the diner, <laughs> if someone at Fred 62 was like, <laughs> hey man, there's a, there's a warm wormhole in the back, would you guys go? <laughs> I mean, 
today, I got a pretty free day today. You know? yeah. It's only going to be two <laughs> minutes when I get back. Yeah, maybe. I feel like in terms of um, setting up why he would uh, be the type of guy to go, part of that early, one of the first things I think he says in the book is, I was never a crying man. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of plays into it a little bit. Like he... Just was sort of searching for something. Like you could just see him as the type of guy who was in search of an experience of some kind, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that, I feel like maybe that played into it. And the fact that like his marriage had broken down and uh, the, the, the not crying thing though stuck out to me as like uh, important to that somehow and to why he would be the guy to, to go on the journey and, and, and accept it. That was an enormous recurring thing where something – terrible would happen, like a thousand terrible happens, things happen in this book. And every time it ha- one of those things happens, yeah. he says, you, you would have thought I would have cried. Yeah, but, right. But nope. Exactly. Yeah, and exactly. It was, but it also like, I thought the payoff, I thought it was completely right. earned. Right. I thought him finally crying was, I, I, I was so moved. I got chills. Like I was absolutely moved by that. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't kind of see it coming. I sort of forgot that he wasn't a, a crier. And then when it happened, I thought, Oh, I thought this is man. He's been laying track for this for <laughs> 700 pages yeah. and it totally, totally pays off. Yeah, totally does. Yeah. You know, the other, tool, was, the other thing that I like that, that he uses is the like sort of extreme ultra graphic violence. Uh, it doesn't happen that often, but you know, Frank Dunning killing his family with that sledgehammer. Uh, and then, Oh. Uh, the guy shooting himself in the head and the, uh, there's all these sort of moments of super, super violence. And I'm like, Oh man, this is so gross. And then the payoff for that for me was when, um, uh, Clayton, Johnny Clayton comes back and slices Sadie's cheek yeah. and he spent so much time and energy talking about how beautiful she was super specific about it. And then he gets yeah. super specific about her horrible disfigurement. And that's, that's when it's like, you really feel the conflict inside you like, Oh, she is like totally disfigured now, but, but I know how beautiful she was. How are we going to get through this? You know, it's like a really effective, uh, way to bring you down to the level of the, of, uh, of Jake in that moment of like, oh, yeah, that's it. I mean, you know, I'll bring her back to the future and then we'll, we'll fix her cheek up. But, uh, it was really, <laughs> Uh, it was really we'll fly her out to Beverly Hills and we'll get some, with some surgery and everything will be fine. Yeah. <laughs> lasers, as he says. Yeah, lasers. <laughs> exactly, lasers. And, and I, I, I thought, I didn't know how, I know there's a little afterward that King wrote, like the last three or four pages, he kind of thanks people and is very specific about how he wrote this book and, and how he had the idea in 1972 and <laughs> said, oh, it's too, it's too fresh, I don't want to write about this yet. And he was really happy. He waited. And the original ending was different. And his son, who's also a novelist, Joe Hill, Mm -hmm. his son came up with the idea for him to go back to Jody and find her and dance with her. And I thought, I mean, dancing is such a important part of this book. Stephen King obviously must be like a really frustrated dancer. (laughs) Um, Or a very talented one. Maybe he's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that I, 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 another thing that was completely earned all that stuff with their hands intertwining and the description of the dance and how life is dancing and dancing is life. And the fact that they finished with this dance, I just thought was again, come 
completely earned. I bought into every second of it. It really was a uh, just like a seven to eight hundred page setup for like a bunch of great payoffs. Yeah. Yeah, I I completely agree. Yeah, but, for sure. You know, we'll been... take uh, another break and then we'll come back and we'll finish it up with more of the Reading Aloud book club. Thanks for staying tuned. I'm so happy to have The Great Courses sponsor this episode of Reading Aloud. The Great Courses is amazing because it allows you to scratch that itch in your brain when you're dying to learn about something new. And they have courses in everything. Whatever your itch is, whether it's literature, history, science, uh, photography, art, music, they have all kinds of courses. They have a, uh, a Great Courses app, so you can listen to it on your phone or your iPod. They have DVDs and it's uh, a CDs. It streams online. Uh, I watched The Art of Storytelling from Parents to Professionals. Uh, I had the DVD version and it was great. It was so much fun. I learned a ton and it was so easy to do. So The Great Courses right now has an unbelievable offer. Uh, it's uh, 80% off, 80% off, eight of their best-selling courses, including The Art of Storytelling. But you have to uh, respond immediately because it's, uh, it's for a limited time. So go to thegreatcourses.com slash Nate, thegreatcourses.com slash Nate, and sign up for something that interests you. Thanks, The Great Courses. This episode is brought to you by Loot Crate. Would you classify yourself as a geek? or a gamer, or a pop culture nerd, then this is the subscription box for you. For less than 20 bucks a month, you get six to eight items of gamer and pop culture licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, unique one-of-a-kind items, and more. They come right to your home. So make sure to head to lootcrate.com slash Nate and enter code Nate, and you save three bucks on any new subscription. Every month, there's a different theme and all items are curated around that theme. They're all inspired by classic movies and, and video game releases, um, pop culture franchises, Star Wars, Marvel, Walking Dead, etc. And this year, uh, thus far, has been they've been crates with Star Wars and Voltron. Um, what else was there? Uh, there's like uh, retro game inspired mashup figures. Uh, a crate all about strategy games, covert operations. It's just a box full of awesomeness that you get to open every month. So it's like a friend who knows exactly what you love and then surprises you with presents. I love presents. But again, you have only until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. Because when the cutoff happens, it happens. So go to lootcrate.com, L-O-O-T-C-R-A-T-E.com slash Nate and enter code Nate and save three bucks on a new subscription today. Okay, we're back. It's Act 3 of Reading Aloud, the book club for 11-22-63. And I'm with my, my guests, John Forrest and Nelson Franklin. They were kind enough to read an 850-page book about a time traveler with a lot of surreal violence and cool, sexy stuff. They're here talking about it. I'm on a telephone, and uh, the three of us just realized that we haven't mentioned... The assassin, yet <laughs> yeah, Lee tough. Harvey Oswald, which is in, which is insane. What what was your guys take on like the introduction of 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 Lee? Uh, again, just creepy and believable. Um, uh, what a little what a little piss ant. I think that's the best yeah. word for him. 
just creepy and believable and uh and yet and yet like humanized him in a way um which is was important i think um just as he humanized kennedy at one point saying he was just a guy um yeah. for that one moment there's a newsreel footage where some guy plays the head of the chief on an accordion and he kind of is shocked and is like holy shit um but i thought i thought it was really creepy and um uh, Nelson. Oh yeah, no, I was gonna say that his environment was so talent. Like you know, you got the mother who's just a total, and there was a couple of mothers in this book that were just. Oh, I, I have a passage yeah. to read. I have a passage to read about that when we're ready. But right. please continue. The mother, and then it's like he's so poor, and he has all these delusions of great. Like you know, I never really knew his politics until I read this, and the stuff about how you know he's sort of against right wing politics and stuff like that stuff was all sort of so bizarre i didn't realize that that was just like mo but the like other russians in town who like get along with his wife better than he does because they're actually for countrymen and they take care of her and they buy her things well and they're also happy to be in america and he's like you're not pure you're not yeah you've fallen from the pure faith of socialism he has no place he hated russia he hates america he's like thinking cuba's got to be the answer but that's going to be a nightmare from he's just a guy without any he's a guy who was smothered to death by his mother yeah in this book and and it's so much so that he can't even live in the world you know (laughs) happily it's insane um what's the path yeah so it's on it's on 616 and um Uh, I'll just read it. For a moment, everything was clear. And when that happens, you see that the world is barely there at all. Do we know? Do we all secretly know that? It's perfectly balanced mechanism of shouts and echoes pretending to be wheels and cogs. A dream clock chiming beneath a mystery glass we call life. Behind it, below it, and around it, chaos, storms. Men with hammers, men with knives, men with guns. Women who twist what they cannot dominate and belittle what they cannot understand. A universe of horror and loss surrounding a single lighted stage where mortals dance in defiance of the dark. Mm. I found that one of his best pieces of prose in wow. the entire book. But the to wow. hone in on the that thing, you know, men have their you know, humans have their each into you know unique corrupting influence. I suppose the genders have. They're each corrupting influence, you could say. But the way that he pinpoints uh, what I think is Oswald's mother's corrupting influence here is really well done. Uh, women who twist what they cannot dominate and belittle what they cannot understand. It seems to me that yeah. that's where all of his problems sprang from. Um, and yeah. he took them out on his wife because he was allowed to, quote, allowed to, uh, unquote. And he couldn't with his mother and he was just this rage. He felt impotent and he was just this ball of rage and he just had to like explode. And, uh, and just her domineering nature, even with, with his brother, I think that's the first introduction is you see him with, with, uh, Robert Oswald Mm -hmm. and she's like, get back here and I'm not done talking to you. And, you know, I want to hear from him and you should tell him to call me about Lee. And, um, she just, her character was just almost as, as creepy and insidious and, worthy of blame uh, in, in, in some ways. I feel like Stephen King describes her smile in such a disgusting, like creepy yeah. way. Yeah. She walks into there. She doesn't also the fact that she misses that step that should be replaced, but she just, she just like negotiates it perfectly mm-hmm. comes right into the door of their apartment and just grabs the fucking baby, like Starts out of smothering the, it out with of kisses. His wife. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it's such a, that, that whole, that character was so, 
just cringeworthy and like just unsettling. Another character that you wouldn't think would be pivotal to the story. I had no idea. I'm not sure how much of that is based in truth. I'm, I'm assuming it is, um, considering all the research that Stephen King did for this book. But mm-hmm. I had no idea that he had this like domineering mother who smothered him and made him um, made him like full of cruelty and anger. Uh, but those descriptions of her just showing up in the house and taking the fucking baby oh. and the baby wailing. Yeah. As and how as he said, comes in. how he said she seemed to feed on it. She, the oh. mother seemed to feed on her cries. Yeah. Like a, oh, like a monster. God. What a great fucking image. That's so great. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. He also did um, a really good job making Oswald's wife, Marina, very beautiful. Like, oh yeah. And such a tragic figure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, still alive today. That's that right. scene where she knocks on his door was also really awesome. I found I didn't see that coming. And I was yeah. I was starting to wonder like are they ever going to have weird interaction? Like is there ever going to be a moment where Oswald sees him and is like who are you or you know and then it it happened and I found that really satisfying cuz she was just like have you seen him and then she was like don't tell him I asked. Please don't tell him I asked. And she can't really speak English yeah. and it's just very sad. Yeah, she mispronounces husband. I forget what she husbuck, says. Husbuck, husbuck, or yeah. something like that? Yeah. 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 Husbeth or something. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Right. He didn't um, want her to learn English. What an asshole. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I had someone else um, reach out um, via email and had a question or sort of, I guess, maybe um, frustration with uh, this is again, this is Ashley with there not being as much of a payoff with uh, Jimla and yeah. how you sort of expected Jimla to be bigger and spookier. And I mean, when someone says like, oh, that old woman on the porch or old man on the porch saw you and saw like a ghost behind you mm-hmm. and saw you as this evil person and, and like you are. And then it's revealed with a, I think the green card man says like you're Jimla. I, 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 that, that didn't pay off for me that he was Jimla. I yeah. wanted there to be a, a real cool, spooky looking ghost that lived in that a weird to... smokestack. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Totally. I wanted a real monster. Um, because he spent, a, that was another thing that he laid a lot of track on it, but it, I just feel like it didn't quite, the Jimla stuff didn't quite pay off. And it's a such, again, it's a nitpicky note, but yeah, but, but, you know, leading up to it, I always found the, obdurate past sort of like one in the same as Jimla before it was, you know, clear. Um, so I don't really know what that adds to the conversation. I've been up all night. Yeah. He made a real meal out of all the harmonizing. This is one thing that, that annoyed me. He would be like, there was a car there that was the same car that I had once. I'll tell you, the right. boy, that past sure does harmonize. It's like, no, nah, man, there's two cars. What are you talking about? You know, it's fine. Well, that was that's something we haven't talked about, though. I the, thought that was a super cool concept about the past being both working against you the second you try to change something, but also harmonizing. Mm. I found yeah, that a really yeah. cool thing because it could have easily just been the past is going to work against you, and that would yeah. have gotten really boring. But it was so much more paradoxical and three-dimensional for it to be like, no, it harmonizes too. And the echoes of certain things the little girl with rubella who was also named sadie um on and on and on there's some countless like uh, examples of it but yeah. i just found that a really really cool device and it would make sense and be something um it just was a cool device for a tr- tr- time travel story because yeah the past doesn't want to be changed i mean it, things sort of have taken their course and 
it would make sense that um, that would be a hard thing to do. And I was glad to. It see. makes. He describes the past like the past is is its own character. Right. Exactly. It has, right. It and has a super a point cool of view. One. It has it has feelings. Like just the cars breaking down, like six cars they get into trying to get to the book book depository, like breaking down in various ways, and all these things thrown in their way, and how he's preparing. Even when he's trying to kill Harry Dunning, like he gets that weird like shitting disease, and like he's. I just found all that stuff so cool and such like a great um, device. And then at the same time, for for things to harmonize and be echoes of each other, and for there to be some sort of uh, symmetry or or I don't know. Uh, I I found it to be super cool as well. And I really love that. I like Stephen King describes the past as like being a person, like a living thing. And I didn't think that that would be part of the story, but it made, it freaked me out how much power the past still has. Like it scared me. I was like, Oh shit, what the fuck is the past going to do today to try to ruin this guy's plan? Like it's going to get worse. Oh God, it's going to get worse. And it's going to get worse. And I love that the past is pissed. <laughs> and I found that I bought completely into every little hitch. He just, he just says it a lot. He says like it harmonizes. He has these like phrases that he keeps repeating. The past is object. Uh, all these little things that he keeps on saying that got a little frustrating to hear. Cause like, I hear you, man. King, I'm on board. Yeah. Totally on board. You don't have to tell me again. 11, but, 22, um, 63, or the past is pissed. Yeah. <laughs> the past is soups mad real real mad um well we'll finish up now with our sort of closing thoughts on the book and our experience reading it and um i'll start with you john we've already sort of run through most of any most of the stuff that we have opinions about but overall if you had to give this book a rating what would you give it, and would you recommend it to a dear friend? I would absolutely recommend it. I would just tell them uh, to set aside some time and to not try to do what I did, which is read the last 400 pages in one sitting. Um, <laughs> so know that. But yeah, no, I really, really love it. As a rating, I would probably give this uh, 8.5 stars out of 10. Nice. Um I'm going to go so far as to say nine stars. I'm going to say nine stars out of 10. Um, I really enjoyed it. The the descriptions of the past were just totally uh, effective for me. The event that it centers mostly around is just such an endlessly compelling event. Um, And this was done in a really smart way, in a way that I really was invested in and cared about and felt true tension and suspense and creepiness and weird lovey feelings and joy. I've been up all night. <laughs> Nelson? Yeah, I uh, I also enjoyed this book. I was talking to my friend Mark Proksh. Proksh? Uh, he's going to kill me if he hears this, but I can. it's hard to pronounce the last name. He read this book uh, a while ago when it, when it came out, and uh, I said, how long did it take you to read it? And he said, I read it over four months. And I was like, Whoa. yeah, you know what? I bet that had a really... I was jealous, and I thought that sort of went hand in hand with the sort of theme of the of it taking so long to get to the end and everything. I thought I thought that would have been a good idea, and you would have been sort of been in Jake's shoes because it was like, oh, what happened mm. back in Derry? That was a couple months ago, and right, Jake right. said it was like, oh, that was a couple years ago. You know, um, mm, that's a good yeah. point. <clears throat> but I liked the book. Uh, I really uh, learned a lot, you know, and uh, I mean. I, my heart was pumping every time he was going to make a. When every time he was going to kill somebody, I was super 
uh, pumped up about it, and and I and I was very. Uh, um, it really affected me. I, I, my heart would be racing, and I couldn't put it down and stuff. So it's you don't get those books that often, and and I was weirdly into the afterward when he was like. When Stephen King was like, you know, yeah, I read all these books. I watched all this documentary footage. I really did the work. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say this. I wrote that Al was 95% sure it was, uh, was uh, I was going to say Patton Oswalt, uh, <laughs> Lee Oswalt. But, <clears throat> but he said, you know, after I did all the research and wrote this book, I, I would say that I'm 98 or 99% sure that it was Oswald. And for some reason, I was like, "Good, okay, that puts my mind at rest." It probably was him. Thanks, Stephen King. You're the <laughs> <coughs> you're the one. I, you're yeah, the, uh, the person I know who's did the most work on this. So you're probably right. Uh, and that gave me some I, sort of closure on top of the rest of it. For some reason, I thought that was really comforting or something. It was. I agree. I think that afterward is wonderful, and you kind of you don't need it, but it's a really nice way that Stephen King is like, "Hey." We came to the end of this. Let me just talk to you about some fucking crazy shit that yeah. happened when I, I tried to write this crazy story. And you feel like, because you've been in this pretend world, and then he kind of opens the door. He's like, hey, man, it was me. I invented all this stuff. Let's <laughs> talk about it for a second. I'm yeah. like, oh, thank you. Thank you for your it support. Yeah. <laughs> um, I agree with both of you guys on every level. I would absolutely recommend this book. I was totally riveted and moved. My heart was racing yeah. in a bunch of different sections when he had to build up to some sort of cataclysmic event, whether it was trying to save someone's life or kill someone. Um, I was, my heart was racing. I was totally on board. And I had, a, and I also, like you, like you said, Nelson, I learned a ton. And I really just enjoyed the experience of being in this world with these people, I, I, I give this, I think I'm with you, John, I give this nine stars out of 10 and it turns, it turned me a little bit, um, to be more on the side of Stephen King. I've only read Salem's lot, which is fun, super fun vampire stuff. And then I also read, um, he has this short story called 1408. I've mentioned this on the podcast before it was made into a really terrible movie, unfortunately with John Cusack, but (laughs) That's the only time in my life where I've had to, when I was reading something, I had to turn on the light in my house because wow. I was, I was too spooked out. Um, so if you, if you want to get creeped out, pick up the short story, 1408, it is fucking amazing. And this book like just confirms to me the greatness, you know, he has his faults like every writer does and his weaknesses, but he is an unbelievable storyteller. Incredible. He yeah, laid yeah. this thing out. This thing is miles long, and it is all worth the trip. Yeah, so and it's funny. I, there's I can't so much. This. There's so much funny stuff in it too. I mean, I just yeah, I found I like after reading this book, sort of what you're saying. Like, I would love to hang out with Stephen King. Like, he just seems like <laughs> yeah. such a cool guy. He's like yeah. up on pop culture. He's got the creepiest imagination ever. He's really funny. Yeah, um, just yeah. seems like a really solid dude. Yeah, the the one thing I want to add about the uh, them attempting to kill. Oswald before he shoots the president. I just wrote this down and I forgot to read it. Uh, you know when you have a dream and you can't run, you're like moving in slow motion. It's like sort of this nightmarish feeling where it's like you can't get away from what you're trying to. That's what I felt like the whole time they were trying to get the like three miles to the book depository, and it is mm, this like mm, fucked up yeah. kneecap and everything. And I just felt like it was like a living nightmare. <clears throat> and uh, 
And if, like uh, when you're trying to punch someone in your dream and you can't, your fist can't quite. <laughs> you can't move your arm. Yeah, it was just that. That was the vi- anyway. That's that's my aside. To the can I? Can I? Uh, to wrap, I know you want to wrap up. I just have one thing. I think that kind of sums up this book. Uh, page one forty-five. It's a little pay, uh, when he's done with the uh, two kids doing the uh, hell's hell's a pop and dance. Mm. So I walked away from them, giving myself the old advice as I went. Don't look back. Never look back. How often do people tell themselves that after an experience that is exceptionally good or exceptionally bad? Often, I suppose. And the advice usually goes unheeded. Humans were built to look back. That's why we have that swivel joint on, in our necks. I feel yeah. like that's Keep cool. going. Uh, okay. Uh, I went half a block, turned around, thinking they would be staring at me, but they weren't. They were still dancing. And that was good. Dancing. Oh, God. <laughs> This book is so. I, we could honestly, I could talk about this oh, book for, for another three yeah, hours. Same. Yeah, yeah. I, I, re, I really could because there's so much to cover. Um, and I, yeah, I can't recommend this book highly enough. I just had so much. It was so fun. I really look forward to picking this yeah. up and continuing this journey. I just thought the entire experience was was a thrill. And uh, Stephen King's really good for a reason. Just a, a, a very brief aside to. Um, to, to um, jump on the fact that like Stephen King seems like an awesome guy who you'd want to spend time with. <laughs> My brother, when he was uh, a correspondent in The Daily Show, um, they had so many great guests there every night. And but you didn't want to approach anyone and like you know be like a you know a starry-eyed fan. But the one time my brother did was for Stephen King, wow. and Stephen King was promoting some book, and he saw him backstage, and he introduced himself to him, and he was so nervous, and he said. Mr. King, um, I'm your biggest fan. And as the words were leaving his mouth, he was like, oh, fuck. That's what Kathy Bates says in misery. <laughs> and, and, Stephen, and Stephen King looked at him and he went, well, uh, I hope we don't want to break my feet with a sledgehammer. <laughs> he was like, yes, Stephen King. Right response. I oh. ruined that moment, but I appreciate you being cool about it. <laughs> really funny nice also a diehard red Sox. Fan. yeah i was just I gonna say they always come up to him when the socks are losing and they're like pretty spooky right steven no, and he's God. like you guys need to come up with a new line i've heard him say that like i got, <laughs> i feel he I def, he said that when they were down in that yeah. series with the yankees he's like no he's like i actually think things are gonna go all right and you guys need to come up with a new line yeah i remember that interview and him being so frustrated he was so pissed, pissed off and he had a, i loved it he had a paperback book with him too he was between innings <laughs> he was reading just sitting, I, he's the fucking greatest yeah. Follow him on Twitter. He's super funny. Oh, yeah. He posts a lot of adorable pictures of his corgi. <laughs> <laughs> he also he has a baseball stadium that he built, or a baseball field that he built in Bangor that he calls the Field of Screams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what else Stephen he Stephen King rules. Stephen King rules. Everyone else rules. Yeah. And this book is great. Yep. Again, I want to thank my panel for reading this um, enormous book, but I think we all got a lot out of it. Uh, John Forrest and Nelson Franklin, thank you guys, truly. Thanks for having us. My pleasure, man. That's another book club. Uh, Be sure to get the next book, uh, H is for Hawk, Helen McDonald's uh, book that came out earlier this year. It's getting some amazing press. And come to the first ever live book club. It's happening at Skylight Books on Tuesday, July 21st at 7.30. Pick up, if you live in Los Angeles, you can pick up the book at Skylight, mention reading aloud, they'll give you 15% off. 
Or if you don't live in Los Angeles and you want to get the book at a discount, you can buy it online at skylifebooks.com. Just mention reading aloud when you're checking out and you'll get 15% off. Come down and see us and be a part of the book club in a live way. Again, thank you so much, John and Nelson. And uh, we'll see you again next week with more Reading Aloud. Beware of Jimla. Oh, you hit me like a hurricane. Again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Loot Crate. It is the subscription box service for the geeker, gamer, or nerd, and all of us. For less than 20 bucks a month, you get six to eight items of gamer and pop culture licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, unique one-of-a-kind items, and more. Make sure to head to lootcrate.com slash Nate, enter code Nate, and save three bucks on any new subscription. Remember, you only have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific time to subscribe and receive that month's crate. So when the cutoff happens, it happens, and you're screwed. So make sure you get it in before 9 p.m. on the 19th of the month. Go to lootcrate, L-O-O-T, crate.com slash Nate, and enter code Nate to save three bucks on your new subscription today. Pop. Pop? Wolf Pop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear.